Menopause is a permanent sensation of menstruation that occurs after the loss of ovarian activity. By definition, menopause cannot be determined to have occurred until 12 months has passed since the last menstrual period. Now, in North America, the median age of menopause is 51 years. Most women begin to undergo the physiological changes associated with menopause in the years preceding the final menstruation. This interval is known as the perimenopausal transition. This interval of time is marked by fluctuations in hormone levels as ovarian function begins to slow down. Although women report experiencing a variety of menopausal symptoms, vasomotor or hot flash and vaginal symptoms are the most closely associated with the hormonal changes of the menopausal transition. So, in this podcast, we're going to cover the management of menopausal symptoms according to the ACOG Practice Bulletin number 141. The sudden sensation of extreme heat in the upper body, particularly the face, neck, and the chest, is referred to a hot flash. These episodes, which typically last from 1 to 5 minutes, can be characterized by perspiration, flushing, chills, clamminess, anxiety, and on occasion even heart palpitations. Vasomotor symptoms may also interfere with sleep and cause chronic sleep disruption in some women. The pathophysiology of the hot flush is not fully understood and is likely related to multiple factors. Changes in reproductive hormones appear to play a critical role given that these symptoms occur during the menopausal transition and improve with the administration of estrogen. There also is evidence that thermoregulatory mechanisms change during the transition so that the thermoregulatory zone is narrowed and becomes more sensitive to subtle changes in core body temperature. Data has proven that there are actually racial and some cross-cultural variability in the hot flush. African-American women report the most vasomotor symptoms, while Asian women tend to report the fewest compared to other groups. Now, these racial and cross-cultural variability in the prevalence of the self-reported hot flush is actually substantiated by vast literature. As we mentioned in the intro, the second most common symptom is that of vaginal atrophy. Vaginal atrophy is a direct consequence of the hypoestrogenemic state associated with menopause resulting in anatomical and physiological changes in the genital urinary tract. That's why vaginal atrophy symptoms have been called the genital urinary syndrome. Vaginal atrophy causes bothersome vaginal symptoms commonly associated with menopause and include vaginal or vulvar dryness, discharge, itching, and of course dyspareunia. Vaginal secretions, which is largely transudate from the vaginal vasculature, may decrease during the perimenopausal transition. These changes from vaginal atrophy can lead to significant dyspareunia that can impair sexual function and impact interpersonal relationships. Genital examination and microscopic examination of vaginal smears, if necessary, can confirm the diagnosis of atrophic vaginitis. Okay, now that we've covered the two most common symptoms, let's get into the treatment of each condition. First, let's focus on vasomotor symptoms or the hot flush. Systemic hormone therapy with estrogen alone or in combination with a progestin for uterine protection is the most effective therapy for vasomotor symptoms related to menopause. 
Remember that the lowest effective dose should always be used when considering therapy for the vasomotor flush. Low-dose and ultra-low-dose systemic doses of estrogen may be associated with a better adverse effect profile than standard doses and may reduce vasomotor symptoms in some women. Some women, however, will need standard dosages, typically defined as 0.625 or greater. Given the variable response to hormone therapy and the associated risks, it is recommended that healthcare providers individualize care and treat women with the lowest effective dose for the shortest duration of time that's needed to relieve vasomotor symptoms. Now, the risks of systemic combined therapy include thromboembolic disease and breast cancer. The majority of trials that analyze the safety of hormone therapy have assessed preparations containing conjugated equine estrogen alone or in combination with medroxyprogesterone acetate. Now, among women receiving estrogen only, there was an increased risk for thromboembolic events, but not an increased risk of cardiovascular events or breast cancer. Now, it's difficult to generalize these findings to younger women who are recently menopausal because the Women's Health Initiative was aimed at assessing hormonal therapy for primary coronary heart disease prevention in women, many of whom were already well past the menopausal transition. Now, just as a reminder, in January of 2019, we actually covered the Women's Health Initiative and the North American Menopause Society update on hormone therapy risks and benefits. So I'd advise you to go back to that archive again, January 2019, for this related podcast. Now, because the culprit in the Women's Health Initiative for Breast Cancer was progestin, there's been a spike in the interest of using progesterone alternatives and as an alternative to the use of a progestin for preventing endometrial hyperplasia with estrogen therapy, preparations combining estrogen and an estrogen agonist antagonist have been investigated. The FDA has approved a daily oral preparation of conjugated estrogen and basidoxaphene under the brand name Duavi, which has been approved for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms and to prevent osteoporosis in postmenopausal women who have a uterus. This preparation has been shown to significantly reduce the number of vasomotor symptoms and significantly increase bone mineral density compared to placebo. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're still on the topic of treating vasomotor symptoms. We'll get to treating vaginal atrophy symptoms in just a minute. But what about women who are averse or are otherwise contraindicated for the use of estrogen? What do we give them? Well, what about progestin-only therapy? Well, although progestin is primarily used as an add-on agent to estrogen to prevent endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer in women who have a uterus, there is some evidence that progestin alone may help improve vasomotor symptoms. Although progestin may improve some of these symptoms, there are limited data on the safety of progestin alone compared with combined estrogen and progesterone preparations. So, because of this, progesterone alone is not considered a first-line therapy for the management of vasomotor symptoms. 
Well, what about testosterone? Well, testosterone for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms has shown no benefit and potential adverse effects, including detrimental ones on lipid parameters and even clitoromegaly, hirsutism, and acne. So, according to the college, testosterone alone is currently not FDA-approved for use in women, and its use really is not evidence-based. Now, some women are driven crazy by these hot flushes but want non-hormonal alternatives. What do we offer them? Well, there is plenty of data that the antidepressant agents SSRIs and SSNRIs are effective for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms associated with menopause. Paroxetine is the only non-hormonal therapy, however, that's approved by the FDA for the treatment of vasomotor symptoms. Another option is clonidine. Remember, that's a central acting alpha-2 agonist, and it's a traditional antihypertensive agent, but it's also been used to treat vasomotor symptoms. But it's not FDA approved for this indication, so patients should be made aware that it's off-label. A systematic review and meta-analysis reported a small benefit of clonidine at 0.1 milligrams per day compared with placebo, but it was less benefit compared with traditional hormone therapy. Another option is to use gabapentin. Remember, that is a GABA aminobutyric acid analog, and it's a traditional anticonvulsant agent, but it's also been shown to reduce vasomotor symptoms in several studies, but like clonidine, is not FDA-approved for that indication. So gabapentin, SSRIs, and SSNRIs appear to have similar treatment efficacy for vasomotor symptoms, but the majority of women who were administered both venlafaxine and gabapentin in a crossover trial actually preferred venlafaxine. Well, you know, we can't talk about menopause without at least touching on phytoestrogens. According to the college, there is no evidence of detrimental effects like overstimulation of the endometrium with use up to two years of phytoestrogens. However, there's also no evidence of true benefit. In particular, there was no significant difference in the frequency of hot flushes between red clover extract and placebo, according to a Cochrane review. Many studies have been done to try to examine the effect of these isoflavones on hot flushes. And although multiple studies have been conducted to assess this efficacy, the truth is is that the data is mainly limited by small sample size, assessment of various forms of phytoestrogen products, and variability in dose and duration of trials. So, while there seems to be no evidence of detrimental effects for up to two years, long-term safety data are lacking Plus, its limited effectiveness makes it something to not necessarily recommend. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, moving on to treatment of vaginal symptoms. Local therapy is advised for the treatment of women with only vaginal symptoms. All low-dose systemic estrogen formulations are FDA-approved for the treatment of atrophic vaginitis, local vaginal estradiol, and local conjugated equine estrogen, which can be administered by cream, Ring or tablet formulations are all effective in treating atrophic vaginitis in menopausal women. 
a Cochrane meta-analysis of 19 trials with over 4,000 women found that local estrogen therapy was not associated with an increased risk of endometrial hyperplasia compared with placebo and therefore the addition of progesterone for endometrial protection is not needed. Once again, according to the ACOG, Vaginal use of estrogen only does not require progestin for endometrial protection. Use of progestin or local estrogen therapy does not require endometrial surveillance either unless women experience postmenopausal bleeding, which would require diagnostic evaluation. Now, here's a real-world clinical dilemma. What happens in a patient who has a past history of breast cancer but who currently is in remission? We know that these patients do suffer from severe vulvovaginal atrophy at times and they come in asking for help. What does the college say about giving vaginal estrogen in these women? Well, that requires its own podcast. So don't worry, we're going to cover the ACOG committee opinion number 659 in a separate podcast to follow this one regarding vaginal estrogen therapy for vulvovaginal atrophy for women with a previous history of breast cancer. But we're not going to do that now. For vaginal symptoms, there's been, of course, an interest in using non-traditional estrogen therapy. Studies suggest that osfemafeme, which is branded under osfena, which is a novel estrogen agonist and antagonist, improves vaginal atrophy without stimulating the endometrium. But let's cover osfena, this atypical serum regarding breast and endometrial potential adverse issues. Osfemaphine is a serum that was approved by the FDA in 2013 for the treatment of moderate to severe dyspareunia associated with vulvovaginal atrophy due to menopause. Osfina is an oral medication. A study of 826 postmenopausal women randomized to receive 30 milligrams a day or 60 milligrams a day of osfenaphine showed that the 60 milligram dose was effective for improving vulvovaginal atrophy. At the time of osfenafine approval, the FDA required that its label include a boxed warning similar to estrogen-based products. However, while it is true that osfenafine does exert a slight estrogenic effect on the endometrium, published preclinical and clinical data show that the magnitude of this effect is much less than that of steroidal estrogen and has been found to be clinically insignificant. Furthermore, following 52 weeks of daily treatment with 60 milligrams, the effects of osfenafine in the endometrium, based on both histology and ultrasound results, appear to be more similar to a serum compared to an estrogen. Now, with regard to breast cancer, it's true that the currently available clinical data are insufficient to make any claim that osfenafine has beneficial effects in either the treatment or prevention of breast cancer. However, there are no clinical data showing that osfemafine would increase the risk of breast cancer either. Actually, in virtually all data generated, osfemafine is similar to other FDA-approved serms and acts as an anti-estrogen in breast tissue. As another estrogen alternative for treating vaginal atrophy associated with menopause, the FDA approved in 2016 in vaginal insert which is used daily called intrarosa. This is also known as prasterone. This is in fact DHEA and serves as a prohormone which is converted into mild androgens and estrogen. 
Prasterone has not been shown to increase serum steroid concentrations, nor has it been linked to the development of endometrial hyperplasia or endometrial cancer. Well, that brings us to a wrap. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Even though we have covered and named several types of branded medication, please know that I have no corporate or financial disclosures to report. We'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.